0: From Finance & Commerce, this is Beyond the Skyline. A podcast about economic development, commercial real estate, and construction in Minnesota. In each episode, you'll meet business leaders, builders, entrepreneurs, and big thinkers. I'm David Bolander, editor of Finance & Commerce. Thanks so much for joining me. Beyond the Skyline is sponsored by Ironmark Building Company. Whether it's a new luxury apartment building in the North Loop, talks to FNC reporter Brian Johnson. Bryduck does a postmortem on the legislative session and talks about sustainability trends in asphalt paving as well as consolidation in the asphalt pavement industry.
1: All right, well, I'm pleased to be joined by Abby Bryduck. Uh, you're the executive director of the Minnesota Asphalt Pavement Association. Is that right? That's right, thank you well thank you for joining us today abby uh i know first of all i you know i want to uh mention that i know you've been in the sort of the construction business for a long time on the association side you spent a few years you're with agc for a number of years and moved on to the uh, uh, minnesota asphalt pavement association and um, i know in the world of road construction you've got your concrete people and your asphalt people and concrete folks don't worry we'll get to you at, <laughs> at, at a later date but right now we're going to talk a little bit of uh asphalt uh so um abby uh, thanks for thanks for joining me today how have you been
2: oh, my pleasure great enjoying the summer enjoying the wonderful uh weather for paving that we've had so far um, yeah you know things kind of Uh, slow down for me personally after the legislative session because that's such a big time Mm -hmm. for us. But then that's when our members move into the construction season. So we still keep a little bit busy, but a little bit more in the background maybe than earlier in the year.
1: Yeah, 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 for sure. Well, We'll have to talk about the legislative session and some other things. But um, I was wondering if you could start out by just telling us a little bit more about the Minnesota Asphalt Pavement Association, your mission and the services you offer, and that kind of thing. Yes, thank you for asking.
2: Uh, so MAPA was formed in 1942 um, by a group of um, paving producers or asphalt asphalt producers, rather, um, and has been going since then. They took a little break during World War II, according to the records. Uh, but so we've been around for quite a while. Our membership is made up of asphalt producers, and lay down contractors, as well as you know what we call the associate members that every association has who are sort of the um, more of the support part of the industry. We can have financial organizations, legal, we have equipment providers, aggregate producers, those kinds of things. So we've got um, a good group of those two. In total, we have 111 members, and 33 of those are the producer-contractor types. Interestingly, um, I was going through some older files, which I like to do. It's always fun to see what we did. This is to see that we're still talking about the exact same things that we were talking about decades ago. But anyway, around the year 2000, NAPA had just over 80 contractor producer members. Today, we have 33. Of course, some of that's from attrition. Some people leave for various reasons. But by and large, that's absolutely from consolidation in the market. Mm. Our core member uh, type used to uh, be a small or medium-sized family-owned paving company, and that is just not the norm anymore. So mm. there are a few of those still out there, but there's just, like I said, there's been a lot of consolidation, and we've got some big companies now that that are national companies that are work in Minnesota. So that's ch- mm-hmm. certainly changed the association dynamic, but also changed the dynamic within the paving industry.
1: Mm. Yeah, you're certainly seeing that in a lot of industries. So um, but uh, yeah, you mentioned uh, briefly the legislative session. Can you talk a little bit about that and some of the things you were tracking and um, how did that turn out for your members?
2: Sure. Happy to. That this legislative session I know you've heard and you've written about was a big one, a really, really big one. Um. We had so many colossal pieces of legislation, complex pieces of legislation, just fly through the process. Um, and so we're still kind of picking up and finding things here and there that we didn't know got through and weren't tracking that or that didn't show up until, until afterwards. So, um, so we're still doing that sort of post-mortem. But by and large, it was a pretty amazing session for transportation funding, for sure. Um, We have I've been working on transportation funding since about 2005 Um, when I used to work at the legislature. I was the CA for the Transportation Committee. And that was uh, during the time we had the 35 w bridge collapse and then the subsequent 2008 funding package. Mm -hmm. This is bigger than that, you know, Mm -hmm. and and this and it was bigger than what came before that. I think it's probably the biggest package ever Um, before 2008. We, we hadn't raised the gas tax since 1989. So really two times in the past, what, 30-ish years. So uh, we were long overdue. And as you know, that's especially the gas tax is a flat tax. Uh, we were overdue, but we've been overdue for a long time. But, you know, the stars aligned and we got a big one. Just about every um, funding mechanism we have was touched Including the gas tax, which we thought you know, kind of the words on the st- word on the street was no one has an interesting gas tax. We're not going to do anything about that, and and I we really pushed back on that because we said, hey, we have a DFL trifecta. If, the, if we don't talk about gas tax now, we're not going to talk about it again because it's just it's it's done. It's done. Who else would be bringing it up? We always had to wait for the DFL to have a tax increase. But if they're not going to do it, then let's just call it a day. Let's say we're done with the gas tax. I don't know what we're doing next, but it's not that. Let's put an inflator on it and say goodbye. And to our surprise, that's actually what they did. I don't know if they've said goodbye to it yet, but, um, but we have now an inflator on the gas tax that corresponds to the construction cost index, which is even better for our industry, makes even more sense than the CPI, the consumer product index, um, because mm-hmm. you know, the, the materials, the cost of the materials that go into paving follow you know, different markets than the CPI. So that was huge. And like I said, you know, we got, we got the, they touched the motor vehicle sales tax, we got the registration tabs, um, sales tax on auto parts. We got that from the general fund, a brand new fee or tax or fee, whatever you want to call it, but that I think only Colorado has. Um, it's a retail delivery free fee that will be applied to retail deliveries like Amazon, Grubhub, et cetera, for purchases over hundred dollars. It'll be 50 cents and that's gonna to go to roads and bridges. And so, you know, that is kind of a nod to maybe what's next for mm-hmm. transportation funding. The only thing that we didn't touch was electric vehicles. And I think that's gonna be the next conversation we have in the coming years, um, you know, as, as we are know, we expect that EVs are gonna take over the fleet pretty soon, pretty soon, who don't know, it's five years, 10 years. Um, mm-hmm. And we've been begging legislators, please do it now before too many people have them. It's way easier to raise a tax on, on a smaller group than a larger group. Mm-hmm. Um, there are concerns, you know, with with the, the uptake, and they don't want to disincentivize people from buying electric vehicles. But I think we're that's we're going to move past that at some point. Whether it's on the tab, on your tab fee, like you would pay a, a registration tax when you get your car and yearly, or if it's a charge at the public charging stations, which a lot of people like that idea. Cause you get people who come through the state rather than just residents. Mm-hmm. But I, I believe that's going to bring in a lot less money. I mean, most EV owners charge their cars at home. So yeah. anyway, yeah. there's a lot of discussion, but, but I, that's probably going to be the next thing. So to answer your real yeah. question, yes, we follow transportation funding. That's our number one. Um, We always um, support and promote um, anything to do with work work zone safety. We've worked on um, automatic speed enforcement in uh, work zones to some degree of success. We've got a pilot program that's out there for that. Um, And then we, as you probably aren't surprised to know, spent a lot of time and a lot of work on some environmental regulations that are coming down that are really going to change um, the way we choose projects and the way we we do bidding. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was a big part of what we worked on this the session.
1: Hmm. But uh, can you uh, expand on that a little bit? And, and anything specific on, in terms of the environmental um, regulations?
2: Yeah, I mean, that was obviously a very big priority for the majorities this year. And um, what we saw was the beginning of an evolution from a low bid system you know like a, a low carbon impact system bidding system mm-hmm. or procurement as we're calling it um mm-hmm. which which that's a big deal i mean low bid is the name of the game mm-hmm. and it's pretty it's simple it's easy people get it and um it's always a challenge when we talk about alternative procurement um methods but this one's a big one because this isn't just it's just it's just going to be a whole new way of thinking and a way of thinking that our industry and all most industries haven't been thinking yet you know this 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 shouldn't have crept up on us like it did i mean we should have been mm-hmm. working on how to reduce greenhouse gases all that stuff for decades but mm-hmm. but now it's here we're doing it because politically it's been dropped in our lap and and uh, a lot of people aren't in, the, in that mindset yet. I would say people still, most people look at environmental regulatory stuff as regulatory stuff. It's compliance. Tell me what to do and I'll do it. If mm. I don't do it right, I'll get in trouble. Um, but we really need to shift our thinking from compliance to innovation. About So from the industry, how can we be greener? How can we reduce our carbon impacts, our overall greenhouse gas uh, impacts, and and it's I feel like the industry and the and the public owners are both kind of looking at each other like, well, what are we supposed to do? <laughs> what are we supposed to do? We're waiting for them to tell us what to do. And they're waiting for us to tell them what to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's actually a little bit how it's going to happen. So there was a bill uh, buy clean, by fairs, what we called it. And um, it sets up a process for <laughs> sets up a process to set up a process for green procurement. It sets up a task force. That includes the materials industry groups, that includes um, uh, public agencies, environmental groups, uh, all the relevant stakeholders to basically figure out how we can to, to come up with recommendations to how we can move toward a green procurement. Um, okay. So how yeah. also we can um, make more or, or get people use the idea of this the environmental product declarations. You've heard that big buzzword. Um, we can do that. Minnesota has one public pu- one published EPD in the system, and that's basically a nutrition uh, chart for a um, construction material. So you would say this this particular mix of asphalt has this score as far as its impact. Mm-hmm. Um, a very complex um, process and situation that we're all trying to wrap our heads around because mm. it's never as you want it to be there's just all well, what about if it's here and what if then we use the the rocks from here and we have to bring them from there i mean it's all it's just complicated so yeah. also legislation and this task force will look at how can we um promote the use of those um the asphalt industry has to have their recommendations by 2028 so that gives us quite a runway to figure some of this stuff out
1: mm-hmm. um oh that'll be here before we know it um yeah, right. <laughs> um so what i'm hearing is they're moving toward a system where it's projects it sounds like a sort of a best value system where um you get points for environmental sustainability things like that and the project won't necessarily go to the lowest responsible bidder but there's a a score there that takes a lot of things into consideration
2: that That could trump it and it and it probably will It probably will cost more it will cost more Mm-hmm. to do To do have a lower g- greenhouse gas impact, um, mm-hmm. and so everyone's got to get used to the idea and get used to the idea of who's going to pay for it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like what I've been seeing in the uh, environmental assessment worksheets now, where they have to have a uh, disclose the project's impact on climate change and things in that nature, as well as mm-hmm. traffic and noise and everything else. So <laughs> we're seeing that and. In- um, a number of different areas, Um, but, um, yeah, well, that'll be interesting to keep an eye on that for sure. Um, so what else can you tell me about the, um, I guess how the industry is approaching sustainability and trying to reduce its impact on the environment? Um, how are, what are some of the, I guess, ways that the industry is moving in that direction?
2: Yes. So, the legislation is going to nudge us and push us mm-hmm. um, to get something, but there is some some relatively low hanging fruit, some obvious things that we can do. Um, one is to increase the wrap in our mixes. Wrap is recycled out asphalt products. So, um, mm-hmm. when a contractor will mill up a road, take that asphalt, and they can mix it back in with a virgin mix, and it costs less. And it's also, you know, there's less of an environmental impact there of, uh, of using that that reused asphalt. So we typically use in Minnesota, and this is, most, this is more DOT, about a 25% is kind of the highest we'll see <laughs> of a mix in regular usage. Um, but we do have a permissive spec that would go up to 45%. Um, it hasn't been used widely or much at all, as far as I know. Um, the concern there is some some folks some at some of the locals have concerns about the quality of the mix. We mm-hmm. believe it has um, that that it can that we can withstand those high percentages amounts, get good compaction, and, and get good good long lasting product. But there is about some concern about the amount of re- asphalt, re- recycled asphalt product that we have out there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of an unknown factor, but um, that's some of the pushback we're getting is we don't think we have enough of that to really amp up, ramp up that usage. But that's one thing. Another big thing is um, using additives to uh, create a, a warm mix rather than a hot mix. So uh, a, an asphalt product that doesn't, isn't as heated up as high as it typically is. And you do this with, with s- certain additives. There's a couple benefits with that. Not only do you reduce your, your carbon or your greenhouse gas, um, impact from from creating heat, you know, just creating heat and that energy. That's what that's what um, increases the impact. But these additives also make it possible to uh, to pave later in the season. Mm. They they um, help in cold weather paving, which you know some areas of the north central states and the, uh, the north central state region use already use that a lot more. I mean, it's Chicago DOT. Um, they required in any project that's done, say after November for something. Like that. I'm not sure exactly the date, but something like that. Um, so we've advocated for that for a long time. But the question there is, who's going to pay for it? Is the is the contractor going to wrap that up into their bid, um, or is is the DOT going to pay for it? Now those discussions are coming more and more to fruition about we really need to do this. So that's another one. Hmm. The other just has to do with. Um, what, what, is, how, how, we you, the energy we use to operate plants, plants mm-hmm. electrification is one of one thing, um, things like pipe insulation or, you know, um, using compressed natural gas. So all these different ways that you can get more energy efficient at the asphalt plant. So those mm-hmm. are the easiest, uh, the most low hanging fruit that we have right now. Okay be seeing that we'll probably we'll be seeing in response to some of those uh, pieces of legislation
1: yeah well and the the quality part is huge of course because if you end up having to repave it again in half the amount of time it's hardly uh good for the environment right
2: oh absolutely although some of the environmental folks will say um it doesn't matter if we don't have the road in 10 to 20 years because it's washed out because of climate change you know, which mm-hmm. so, which which is going to come first, and we don't really know that. No, but mm. but, but that's that's in the in the mind of the people who are making these regulations. That's where their minds coming from. So mm. This is tantamount. To anything yeah. else? Although in what I've described, we don't have concerns about the quality. We can do these yeah. things to maintain high quality.
1: Okay. <laughs> Well, there's certainly a lot to unpack there, and it will be interesting to see how that plays out. But um, you talked about the investments in transportation, and I know workforce is always an issue. Um, How challenging will it be to have the uh, capacity to carry out these projects in terms of uh, worker availability?
2: Yes, um, our industry has struggled with workforce development since before it was cool. Since before the, the recession, <laughs> we've known that this you know big wave of retirements is coming, and it has come. And our workforce is younger and less experienced, both on the agency side and in in the industry. Um, mm-hmm. We, I always say, you know, in response to this kind of question: the market will respond. The market will respond to to the demands of it. Either costs will go up, or you know something else will change to, to, um, to get where we need to be. Some of our contractors are saying they're not at capacity right now. Uh, that there's more. That there's more. Uh, they haven't worked to their full capacity, so there's more room in the market for work. Mm-hmm. Some some are having challenges, and it and it kind of depends on where you are in the state. Um, the workforce challenges are definitely different mm-hmm. for the. Or the West, uh, Minnesota, yes. so so kind of a mixed response. But we know it's gonna be, it's gonna be a challenge. On the other hand, I think that a lot of younger people are going to be interested in some of the innovation that's going on within the industry about mm-hmm. ability, and that's going to attract some different kind of people.
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, uh, Price wise, what can you say about uh, where asphalt prices are trending right now?
2: Well. Um, we were very, everyone knows we were very high the last couple of years. We have seen some cooling there and um, so I would say some leveling off. We've seen some relief from those high um, hot mix prices or asphalt cement prices, as well as fuel, um, which obviously goes into our general calculation because of trucking the mm-hmm. trucking plays in the, in the process. Um, aggregates are still high. And, you know, there's there's a suggestion that that is still due to the, the costs of trucking, obviously, mm-hmm. also a huge shortage in workforce for the trucking industry, yep. <laughs> which can be, you know, related to a change in in the training requirements at the federal level that came down a few years ago. We just don't get as many entrants because of the high barrier of entry. Mm-hmm. entry trucking. So that's still a very big problem. And, and so we think that could be why the aggregates are still that high. Um, but but asphalt prices have leveled off.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And really helpful. We think we can pass those savings on to our public and private customers, which
1: they have. Okay. Um, just to backtrack a little bit, can you talk about how you got into this line of work? And um, it's uh, we talked about you spent some time with AGC and um, how how uh, what got you interested in um, transportation? and being in this industry.
2: Well, right. Well, like so many of the people I know in the asphalt industry, I uh, was a women's studies major in college. I'm kidding. I'm not <laughs> kidding about being a women's studies major, but sometimes I think, how how ever did yeah. I get here from that? Wow. <laughs> I really don't know. Like, all I could say was the 90s, and that's what my major was.
1: Oh, well, good for um, you.
2: But I did, I so I went to undergrad. I did that. Um, I, I got, after undergrad, I went um, to grad school and got a master's degree in political science international relations Mm -hmm. so that started sort of my movement toward where i am today came back from grad school and i worked on some political campaigns um, and when um, the we won the majority in 2005 i worked for the dfl i came in as a committee administrator so they do they give you win the majority you get all these leadership positions and you give the jobs to all the people who helped you get there right So I was the committee administrator for transportation. And that was just simply a personality match with the chair. I didn't have specific policy background in that area, but you may remember um, representative Bernie leader was the chair Mm -hmm. back then. And um, representative Frank Hornstein was the transit um, and transportation policy chair. And, and that they just selected me because we got along, I guess. So it was (laughs) kind of happenstance. And from, and, and so I started, you know, the more you learn about something uh, the more it becomes interesting to you. So mm-hmm. I, at that journey there, uh, we lost the majority, you lose your job. And I went to the association of Minnesota counties as their transportation policy mm-hmm. uh, advocate. And that was a really great, great uh, experience getting to know the county engineers, getting to know Minnesota. We went to all of, you know, all over the state and stayed in obscure places I never would have gotten to um, had those relationships and then learned a lot about the funding, how the funding works in the formulas. So Mm -hmm. uh, then I went, yep. then I had an opportunity to become the director of government affairs at AGC. So it was kind of a step up and learned there more about construction in general. AGC does a lot with um, procurements. They do with contractual things with with more general construction delivery. Um, And then Mm -hmm. from there uh, the opportunity opened up to kind of run my own show, become an association director. Um, mm-hmm. And I knew that would be a great growth experience for me. And it really was. And, you know, I don't look at myself as an al- asphalt expert. I mean, I kind of, or construction or road construction. I've been on this long time. But the function for me is being the association director, being the advocate, strategist. I'm still a registered lobbyist. Um, those kinds of activities. And we have very uh, talented um, engineer on staff, Brandon Braver, who is really a technical guy. He's our, he has a passion for asphalt. Um, and so it's a nice combination. Um, okay. Yeah. That's how I got here. And, and I, re- and I love it. It's a great industry, great people, smart, hardworking people, people I really respect. And so I enjoy it.
1: Okay. And how long have you been with Mappa now? Five years. Five years. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Time flies.
2: It really does. <laughs>
1: Um, so, well, what else can you talk about, uh, any, anything else, any sort of hot trends right now in the industry or anything else you want to touch on, um, before I let you go?
2: Sure. You know, I would say that, you know, we, we have had, we're always engaged in new technology and I don't know if you've ever reported or, you know, heard about, um, you know, the things, the things that actually now are going to be clouded out by the sustainability um, technology really, but you yeah. know the um, the intelligent compaction, thermal profiling. You know these these technological components that can give you real time information about the temperature of the of the asphalt that you're laying down, or um, and 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 let you know if you've got uniform compaction, so that you can really make changes as you're paving the mat. And and those things, um, Minnesota is actually a leader in around the country. Minnesota DOT. Um, you know, it's it's a challenge for all contractors to get up get up to speed with all that new technology, purchase it, learn how to use it. Um, but it's important to us to make sure that we're we're providing the best product, the long a long-lasting product, giving good uh value for the taxpayer's dollars. So, you know, we're open to trying some of those things. Um, as I said, I think the focus is going to is going to shift now to how uh, mm-hmm. how green we can provide it. But you know, we've still learned lessons from those things. And and I also think that it that is an enticement uh, to some of the newer workforce as well, to work mm-hmm. with um, updated technology and some of those newer concepts. So I think it's overall good for our industry. Some of
1: that. Kind of sure. Yeah, for sure.
2: I will say, though, it is one of those things when we talk about market consolidation, the mm-hmm. more uh, requirements we have, the more. Um, technological advancements, it's going to edge out some companies. Um, it's going to edge out, you know, the companies other than the biggest ones who have the capacity and the, and the um, employee base um, to do some, to, to manage some of these new processes or even just the requirements that come through with the, with public procurement at the national level, level and the state level you know you sometimes you're going to have to have a big HR department or a big compliance department, and people would be really surprised at how lean some of these operations are. They don't mm-hmm. have a lot of people, and a lot of times in the winter, you know, when they've let the crews go uh, for the season, there's only a handful of people in the in the office. and mm-hmm. and it's really hard to keep up with a lot of that compliance. So that's another force that's that's moving us toward industry consolidation. So I mean, as, as from MAPA's perspective, we really try to um, tell that story and um, help keep all the companies in Minnesota competitive, mm-hmm. able to compete, you know, with any of the owners in the state
1: that they to work with. Okay, great. Well, thank you for your time, Abby. It's always good to. To connect with you, and uh, I learned a lot from our conversations. So,
2: <laughs> my pleasure. Thank you. For
1: yeah. This. Thank you. Right. And uh, have a good day. We'll, we'll chat again soon, I hope. Sounds good. We'll All do. Right. Take care. All right. Care. Bye. Bye.